Hello, and welcome to Supply Chain Next. I'm your host, Richard Donaldson. Join me as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges practitioners face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. Welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next, and I am uh, ecstatic here to have uh, two of the senior members uh, from formerly of Maersk, uh, and who have now, uh, and I love this name, uh, uh, ventured off to start their own investment firm, we'll call it a VC private equity, but Project Aviato, which uh, I'm giggling already because my first question is going to be about Silicon Valley. So real pleasure to uh, welcome you guys, Sue and Peter, to the episode today. Thanks for joining. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I'm going to I'm going to kick in before we even get into backgrounds. You, you both you guys got to tell me the story behind Project Aviato, because if you guys are Silicon Valley uh, episode watchers, that was a great name or tell you know what, how did that come about? That's been my uh, my contribution so far, I guess. But uh, but you're absolutely right, Richard. It's it's it is a, a Silicon Valley, the HBO series reference. And and uh, and I like the way you, you said it, Aviato. Uh, just uh, just the way like uh, the Ehrlich Bachmann used to say it, and uh, and of course this is not what what our fund is going to end up being uh, being called. This is a, we it's, so we're very specific. It's Project Aviato, so this is the working title. And then over the next couple of weeks and and, and months here, we we're going to launch a, a more formal name. Um, but but I think that you know one of the things about this you know particular TV series, not so much you know Aviato, is that it actually. You know, for those of your your listeners who are not uh, uh, and viewers who are not familiar with with with, with the TV series, it sort of goes through all these different stages of what it means to be a be be a startup. You know, and everything from trying to find your product market fit to trying to raise venture capital. You know, to going bust. You know, and having your tech not work, and then it works, and then you know all the big evil corporates and it. And I think it, and then of course it's heavily characterized, but but I mean it, it's. Um, I think sort of it's it's a very sort of interesting insight. You know, I, I mean, my wife has no venture capital experience and I initially forced her to sit down and, and watch the first two uh, two episodes with me, but then she actually got into it and watched it. I was like, oh, you know, that that's what you're doing, right? So for those of you out there who have a who have a spouse who's maybe not exposed to, to venture capital and and uh, that that's one way of, of, of educating them at least. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm giggling here as Peter is too, and, and that's a great summary of it. And and as a as someone who uh, has spent 25 plus years, although I just recently moved to Arizona, but uh, 25 years in Silicon Valley, that show was frighteningly on point with all of you know. We we as a startup could pick characters and say, well, that's so and so, or that's so and so. It was spot on through the whole thing. So it's a, it's a cool name. And it's going to, you know, uh, uh, even if that spins into your branded sort of VC slash PE firm, um, it's just a, it's just a, a great way. You really, you've, you've endeared a number of startup people to you already <laughs> through the choice of that name. Um, so, okay. So let me flip back around and, 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 and get to sort of the meat of, of, of both you guys, right. Um, um, would love to just, you know, get a little introduction. Um, you guys can pick out, you know, who wants to go first. Um, but the two of you, uh, you know, have, have just amazing backgrounds. would love to hear a little bit about that. And, and clearly we're going to get into what, what, uh, you know, what, prompted you all to form up uh, and go after uh, uh, investing in supply chain. But we'd love to hear kind of how you got started and, and the history there, because it's really rich. Yeah, thanks. Let me let me try to take a stab at that. You could say, I mean, Soon and I, uh, 
We've known each other since uh, 1999, where we were both as uh, young, hopeful uh, students or finished uh, after our, our respective school or a little bit of work, started in Maersk. Uh, and uh, we started the so-called MISA program back then. And you could say then kind of followed each other a little bit in the beginning. Uh, and, and, and then I, I, I stayed within the logistics and, and, and Maersk uh, traditional uh, world where, where Soon ventured a little bit off and I'll let him, him talk a little bit more about that. So I, I've spent uh, very much and most of my time in different leadership roles around the Maersk space and around the world. Uh, from running different countries to running customer service, but especially the last six to seven years has been very much centered around transformation. Uh, initially transforming, you could say, and, and leading the revenue management and optimization piece of MERS. So, so, so you could say digitizing how you do pricing in an old shipping carrier. I think uh, historically people who know this industry, it was very much gut-based. It was very much based on, hey, let me call my friend in Rotterdam, let me call my friend in Shanghai, and there you go, then you have a rate. Uh, into, you could say, a, a more sophisticated data-driven decision. And then latest, you could say, the last uh, two and a half, three years has been around the overall transition from being a oil and energy, as well as a logistics conglomerate uh, into becoming, you say, the global integrator of container logistics uh, was within the, the sphere that I was working as, as the head of transformation. Uh, so, so that's very much what I've been up to. And then we can talk a lot more about why Aviato uh, in a Ooh, second. Yeah. But I'll let, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great background. Uh, and before we, before we shift over to soon for a second, and your perspective, I mean, first of all, it's a testament to the two of you guys that you've known each other that long and are still together and, and chatting and smiling at each other. So <laughs> clearly you guys get along. So that works. Um, but then secondly, and, 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 and I also want to kind of make sure that we also spend a little bit of time in this one, because I think it's fascinating. I know I don't want to ask about specifically within, but Maersk is a company that, you know, is, is in the world, one of the key foundational elements of the world's supply chain yet. Most people who aren't in shipping or logistics don't necessarily, they see the Maersk ship running around, you know, and I drive into the San Francisco Bay, I kind of see Maersk in a ship and that's interesting, but I don't think people realize it's a 150 year old company. It's the largest by, you know, owning global market share around 70% in shipping at the top 20, which is pretty much, that's the whole world right there. Like Maersk itself is an interesting case study in, you know, longevity and itself maintaining its role in where it is because it easily could have been displaced at some point. Um, and it's a lot more than just a shipping company and it wants to be and it sees that. I mean, can you just take a second or two and just talk a little bit just about high level, you know, Maersk as a company? Because I don't think most people realize that it's going to bring more value to kind of how you are looking at what I think spins out Project Naviato as we get to that. No, no, absolutely. I mean, Maersk is a fantastic company. And, and, and as you say, it's been around since 1904. Uh, so, so, so longevity, it certainly has, and it has, has built a, a terrific company. And as you said, initially built around a number of pillars, a traditional shipping company, then moved into oil uh, in, in the seventies, built up an oil conglomerate, uh, including drilling activities, uh, tankers, uh, as well as its container uh, business, and, and, and then back in 2016, embarked and decided on, on becoming the global integrator of container logistics, uh, which is the journey that, that Maersk is on now. And there are many people who, who are now better equipped at Maersk that can tell you a lot more about that journey. But there's certainly 
I mean, Maersk has proven time and time again through history at being very innovative in its approach, being very adaptable to changing environments and jumping on the trends. And as you say yourself, I mean, it's present all around the world. I mean, you can see the containers everywhere. You can see its reach uh, and, and, and the way you usually think about it when you go down in a shop and buy something. I mean, there's a there's a high likelihood that it, it moved in, 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 a, in a Maersk container or one of the other global carriers. Um, so so I mean, I utmost respect uh, for, for Maersk and I've, it's given me 21 fantastic years. Uh, so so I'm, uh, I have a lot of respect for, for Maersk. So, and, and as a side note, I'm going to come back to soon in a second, but you make me think of a company like Cargill, right? Which most people don't even know what that is, um, but it's like the largest privately owned company, you know, in the world, uh, kind of go back and forth with, you know, Bechtel or something like that. But I remember I, I did a brief stint at Cargill way, 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 way long time ago in Geneva of all places. And, um, and ironically was in oil shipping <laughs> of all things at that time. But the, 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 the key stat that we said is, you know, of the global supply chain, and I would think this of Maersk, like I, I'm just saying, if they own 17% of the shipping, you know, if you think about all the products in your daily life, Maersk has probably touched 95% of those. So everything in the personal consumer space, right, has somehow, some way come across Maersk in some way, shape or form. And people don't even realize that. They think FedEx or UPS or DHL, but behind the scenes, you know, two or three steps is Maersk making all this happen. And, and most people don't realize that their entire home, if you look at everything, 90% of it, Maersk has touched in some way, shape, or I would think that's sort of one of those key kind of fun factoids they would throw out there. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it has global reach, no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah, totally cool. Okay, okay, enough of that. So let me, and I knew this was going to be hard. So let me, let me try and maybe maintain the, 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 so soon. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your background and, and history and, you know, how, how, because you also followed a slightly different, or you and Peter diverged a little bit through your tenure at, at Maersk, getting into different things and then kind of leading into, you know, where we are now. Yeah, we, we needed some time apart. Um, yeah, we, right. uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, so, so I mean, as, as Peter mentioned, right? You know, I, I I've been immersed for, for for 21 years, and and sort of you know first 10 of which uh, you know sort of in a pretty let's call it traditional MERS career path, uh, you know, with a lot of different jobs and a lot of different functions and a lot of different places of the world being exposed to the shipping and transportation business, um, and uh, then I I, I made a, a a choice or a career decision to uh, move into more. MD and CEO positions uh, typically in in emerging markets and some pretty radical turnaround situations. The last two companies I was uh, the CEO of uh, was with the mandate to go in and turn the business around and then divest of it. I did that uh, that uh, once in Latin America. I did it once in the Middle East. And then uh, in mid-2016, Peter mentioned that Maersk at that point in time decided, and I think maybe what Peter didn't mention is that at one point in time, when we both joined the company, we joined a very, very heavily diversified conglomerate. You know, one is the shipping activities that Peter spoke about, the oil and gas activities, but we actually also involved in industrial production, retail, banking, all sorts of stuff, right? So I, I think, you know, the saying back then used to be that in, in, in Denmark, you kind of, you never had to leave Maersk, right? You know, we could go to the office and we could do our banking and we could do our shopping and, well, I, I don't know what else you need, but... Uh, um, and, you know, then gradually sort of, you know, you know, been divesting of, of some of those activities. And, and, you know, I was sort of part of that last leg, if you will, the energy businesses, we divested of around $15 billion worth of, of revenues. Uh, uh, and, 
you know, as, as Peter mentioned this, what, you know, the integrator of container logistics, Søren Skov at that period in time became the CEO of Maersk in mid-16. few months after this, he, um, he invited me to Copenhagen to have a chat and, and speak about his ambition and his strategy for Maersk going forward. And one of the things we, we spoke about was um, the whole area of adjacent growth. Uh, and, and long story short, uh, in, in early 2017, I was then uh, made responsible for the adjacent growth agenda uh, for Maersk at the enterprise level, which eventually became what today is known as, as Maersk growth, which over a three-year period went from having no right to play in the venture space to become the world's most active uh, supply chain investor. So over a 30-month period of time, we, um, we made uh, 23 uh, uh, first-round financings in, in supply chain startups in the US and Europe primarily, and an additional 10 fin financing rounds in, in, in those companies. And pretty much any month the last three years, we've seen around 100 global supply chain startups and then well, statistically invested in, in, in one of those. So that's uh, that. That's essentially what I've been up to the last uh, last twenty one years. Well, that's a good summary. Uh, uh, I love the, uh, the I use this sort of uh, um, confident humility that you project because clearly that's 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 a lot of amazing experiences that you know most people don't get to have, right? Not only being at a global behemoth, but then getting to do those turnarounds, which which where I'm going to lead to is you also have a third partner who's not here, another another uh, Peter. And when I look at the three of you, you know, forming up Project Aviato, you know, clearly or from my vantage point, I look at, um, you know, Peter here today as really having like hardcore kind of supply chain, operational logistics in the weeds of it. You soon seem to have more of that high level CEO kind of view, you know, uh, you know, hands dirty with actually turning companies around. You bring, unlike a lot of venture capitalists in Sand Hill Road, you actually have real operational experience in running companies. What does it take to actually do that versus just put money into it? And then your third partner, maybe the two of you can chime in on, brings kind of that third leg to the stool where he was really leading management consulting practices, which is another piece of the puzzle. When you put the three of you together, I mean, that's a powerful team of not just investment um, uh, insight and foresight, but operational experience that you can bring to your future portfolio companies. And then maybe I'll, I'll kick that off. And then, then Peter, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll chime in, right? But I think you're absolutely right around that, uh, Richard, right? And, and uh, the other Peter, he's... Uh, He's, uh, he's, uh, he's out doing some real work while we're sitting here shooting the breeze. So, uh, <laughs> right. um, but, but I think you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, when we look at, at how we're trying to differentiate ourselves, right? I mean, there's clearly something around our investment thesis, right? That when we look at who's investing in supply chain today, um, you know, you have a couple of, I would say, very competent early stage investors doing pre-seed and seed, typically one or two men, it's typically men, uh, bands, uh, who are investing in supply chain, very deep, very thoughtful, but either does not have the ability and or the interest to raise something larger. Then you have a lot of the, the generalist, uh, you know, named uh, name brand funds who are also investing in supply chain, but typically with a very, very low degree of expertise within, uh, within the supply chain space. So we've identified both a knowledge gap and a funding gap between that, let's call it A rounds, up to late B, early C, maybe D, where we believe that actually our, our knowledge and our experience and our network really comes into play 
And we believe very, very firmly in that operator model. So, I mean, not to, to step on anybody's toes, but we believe particularly in supply chain, um, we believe that that operators will, will beat financial investors. And now, of course, you know, you and, and everybody else knows that, you know, uh, Peter, Peter and, 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 and me, and we complement each other well, right? As you say, you know, Peter comes with this, you know, very strong industry view and industry experience having been at, at the cusp of the transformation of the industry. Maersk has been the driver between a lot of the, behind a lot of these industry transformations over the year. And, and Peter has been participating in, in, in these waves and have been driving a lot of the waves. I've had the benefit both, you know, as you say, the CEO and, and man director roles, but also the last four years, I've been very exposed to the venture industry, the leading startups, the leading investors, and, and you know, having seen more than 3,000 startups, right? I mean, you, you begin to have a pretty good idea of what does good look like um, in addition to getting that, that network. Um, so I've had this, let's say, outside in view on, on what's happening and what's really sort of happening at the grassroots. And then, of course, we have we have Peter, who was with me at Merce Growth, where he was our head of uh, head of value creation. So very, we are very structured. We are very process oriented. We believe that you know we're trying to build something that scales. So Peter, together with me, the other Peter, has seen a a lot of these startups, but also comes with a with a sort of yeah from his consulting background, a very sort of structured and 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 process view of. Um, of the world, and, and that's our complementary skill sets. But on, on top of that, you know, we also have, uh, let's say, quite a few team members, TBA, uh, who haven't made the leap yet. We are full on this opportunity, but who also actually further both complement us, but also people that we know and 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 can work in this this certain way, right? I mean, you know, and and, and I'll get off my soap soapbox in in just a second, but um, but I think the basic point here is that when we're looking at venture capital. I think one of the things that's been surprising to us is that it's typically played as a very individualistic sport. So most funds are, let's call it franchises of one or individual franchises centered around an individual, whereas we are really trying to turn venture capital into a team sport where we complement each other, we leverage each other, and, and we believe that that with the right processes becomes scalable. Yeah, and I think the, the only thing you left out uh, sooner, which which I think also complements it, is, is apart from from the, you could say the standing team within the the fund that that we're looking at, it's also a a very wide variety of expert network, both in in corporates, obviously through through our backgrounds and my background, also dealing with a lot of these many many negotiations, many many interactions with with, with them, but but also an expert network who are truly experts within the whole supply chain space. When you're when you're a captive VC, you sometimes are limited to you could say what what in, in in this case Maersk has to offer. Whereas now we have an ability to actually expand that dramatically, and really leverage the experts within. And that's what what Sun is also alluding to when he says we see it truly as a win-win-win. So a team sport across where I may not be the best suited as as GP to be on a board of this company because. For this specific, I don't bring the expertise. They're not at a space where I can add value right here now. I may see the potential, but someone else in the expert network or sooner or one of the others in the team would be able to leverage and really add value to that company where it is in its stage. And I think it's a little bit of a shift mindset, but it's really important for us to get that across is that that's what we want to stand for. We want to drive value for the companies that we invest in. It's really, really close to heart. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I think you guys, you guys have nailed it. And and there's so much that you said, uh, both of you, in that summary because, it, you know, in one sense, there's the journey that you've gone through as being a part of a major enterprise that opened up an investment arm, and that that's that's a lesson unto itself because not all enterprises can make make great investors. <laughs> that's a lesson we've learned, and I get you guys have learned firsthand. Then next is the, which we're going to get into is actually this whole, you know, what we've called the decade of supply chain, right? If, if you go back and look at a long enough timeline, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years, you know, a lot of the investments have most, you know, investments, when I say investments, I'm saying just globally have really been driven at the internet, the infrastructure, the consumers, you know, big businesses and enterprises haven't really jumped in until now with, you know, driving the need for investment in the space, right? There's been a little bit in sales and marketing with the sales forces and things like that, you know, but there's two big pieces of the enterprise space from, from our vantage point or mine in particular that I see as, as opening for disruption. Supply chain is the number one, obviously we're going to talk about that, but also there's finance, right? I mean, I think SAP sitting there owning that little financial beachhead is ripe for disruption in this next decade because it has not changed much. Um, that's my own critique, but it's a massive space and enterprises, as we know, tend to be very risk averse. So the two things they don't want to touch in their business are the supply chain and finance, right? But we're seeing now the supply chain investment happening almost by you know necessity because you can't live anymore with this dichotomy between my consumer persona, which I can see my toothbrush where it is when I order it until it's delivered to my door. But when I order a hundred million dollars of things in my supply chain of the enterprise, I have no idea where it is till it shows up <laughs> oftentimes, right? Um, and so people just, I mean, that, that gap is so wide now that it has to be addressed. So where I'm gonna come back to is, is really what I would focus a little bit on is just your experiences in even getting ventures going at a large behemoth, like, you know, and, and it's not just Maersk, but in an enterprise, because that's that's also a unique thing. There's a lot of companies, specific, you know, specifically, you know, we as a company uh, were, you know, uh, invested in by Whirly. So we were kind of in their adventures in anything. You know, how did that go? How did the experience of just kind of driving innovation and investment at a large enterprise, how was that as an experience for you too. And then how did that lead you to now saying, ooh, I want to go do this on our own. And then that's going to get us into kind of the aviato and moving forward. But, you know, focusing on just, you know, the experiences there. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I'll, I'll definitely be, be, be happy to speak a bit about that. And then I think maybe just picking up quickly on your point about, you know, finance and supply chain, we actually don't see those as being exclusive, right? I think they're actually an integrated part. I mean, coming back also, to your point earlier, Richard, you mentioned Cargill, right? And I think when you look at, at some of these very large commodity traders and commodity companies, right? I mean, that's clearly, I mean, how do you actually manage your inventory, you know, your value, your, your, your stock on the water and your cash flows and, and all of these things. And, and we definitely think that's a big, I think, and, and you can start looking into manufacturing, you know, which people also see as something separate from supply chain today, right? But these pieces, of course, become more and more and more interconnected, right? I mean, you've done some great write-ups on, on digital twins, for instance, and and you know how do you how do you start sort of playing around with 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 with, with some of these things, and how does this, these worlds come together? Because you can't make decisions over here without factoring in the consequences at, at the other end of the spectrum. Anyhow, that's a little bit of a sidestep from 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 your question, but I thought it's, a, it's an important point you made. Um, so I think, I mean. In nature, I guess that 
you know, you know, Peter mentioned it before, you know, Maersk has as a company been been very brave for, I think, for 120 years. And, and I think, you know, very innovative on a lot of different fronts, right? Um, and and I, I think that that certainly in the, the shipping industry, you know, I, I think that 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 Maersk has, has been leading the pack, right? But but certainly there's something about, you know, on a more general level, inherent to being a, a listed company, but also of course, just to being a corporate. And when you are working in a corporate, what are how are you being incentivized? What are you working for? And, and so on. And I, I think one of the things we clearly observe, and which has been one of the motivators for us to, to, to go out and, and pursue this opportunity, is that we are seeing not only the supply chain players, you know, the retailers, the brand owners, and, and, and so on. Um, I mean, a lot of them are stuck with a relatively archaic infrastructure, an IT backbone, and, and so on. And, and of course, if you're kind of sitting with this, and this is what you are used to, and you are heavily invested in this, it's a pretty big decision actually to change that, right, and, and make a departure from that. Um, and, and, and I just think there's just an inherent conflict there that's really, really, really difficult to solve, right? And, and, and I think it's also conversely very easy. And, you know, I've had this discussion with many startup founders or outsiders, right? Because clearly, I mean, when you're looking, when you're an outsider, you are, I don't know, a 25-year-old Stanford graduate, right? You know, and, you know, smart people looking at our industry would be sitting and saying, you know, I mean, are these guys idiots, right? And, and, and I think they're sort of, you know, I don't think that people or the average person, at least in shipping, is not an idiot by any means. There's some really, really smart and really, really driven people in supply chain. But you're coming from an industry that's so complex, you know, both from an operating perspective and from a regulatory perspective, with so many interconnected parts, right? That changing that is not done overnight. And it cannot be done by a clever app, you know, where you slide right and left, because you know, you might create the world's most wonderful, <laughs> you know, you know, tech solution. But there's also physical stuff that that has to move, right? right? And 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 I think sort of marrying those two worlds, I think is really, really, it's a really, really difficult challenge, um, just just for the industry as a whole, as a whole, right? Yeah, totally. And I think so. So building on that, let me let me let me double click on that for a second and go back to sort of the 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 inner the enterprise experience. I mean, you've touched on a number of you know key factors, right? One is the the size and breadth of the global supply chain, right? It, it's, it's sheer size is its complexity. Because one of the things is supply chain onto its own. On a piece of paper, I can tell you what supply chain does. It buys and manages and sells assets. <laughs> there you go. There's supply chain, right? That's my one-on-one course. Now, how you do all that is massive though, right? There's so many piece parts that have been around and embedded for decades and decades and decades. And there's a there's a online and offline component that have to be thought of in supply chain, not like just building a social network where I'm just you know doing a Facebook spinoff or something like that, right? Um, so so that's another one. And then also, as you know, we we uh, you know when I talk to some of these other people who've been thinking about supply chain, whatever, it it is like the central nervous system of the enterprise. So it's like doing spinal surgery. 
right? You don't want to do it unless you really have to. And for most people, it's not really broken. So they're like, well, why do I want to do chiropractic care for my enterprise, right? Like that kind of scares me, right? I don't want to have a stuck back or something like that. Um, so anyway, so 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 let me go back to the enterprise for a second, because I think it's fascinating that you guys also spend time with 3,000 some odd you know, views. You know, what are the things that you learned coming out of you know, your initial foray into enterprise investing that then made you want to go do this on your own? What were some of the constraints? You know, what were the, the positive aspects of it? And then maybe the constraints that prompted you to say, you know what, there's a bigger thing for us to go do and launch Project Aviato. Do you want to, to take a first stab at that, Peter? No, I, I can. And, and I think, I think it's, 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 it's never easy when you leave a company after 21 years. Let me, let me put it yeah. that way. Yeah, uh, right. no, no matter how you twist and no matter how you twist and turn that. Right. But, but I, I think you could say, as, as a little bit sooner was alluded to, when, 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 you, when you're in a corporate VC setup, and, and, and Sunu has a, has a good story of saying how he, he tried to explain to, to Sean as to, to what it was and how investments in startups works over time and maybe, maybe didn't manage to, to give the full, full essence of saying, well, when you make some good bets, you want to try to follow on those bets throughout uh, the period. Right, right. And, and, and Maersk as, as a conglomerate is, is a very big piece of business. So, so the, the deals when you're talking seed and series A rounds are small in the grander scheme of things, right? And, and I think at some point you make a strategic decision as to where do you want to take and how do you want to become, in, in Maersk's case, the global integrator of container logistics. And you can follow many paths. And, and, and in our case, our thought process was, could we do that uh, through Emerus Growth uh, setup that was more independent or not, and and I think I think in the end we just saw there was a space outside that Merce did not want to pursue. Uh, that we said, well, then then we see that this what, what the space we talked about before is still very much there, and by putting together the right team, we can operate great in that space. Uh, and that's also been a very open dialogue all along, uh, you could say, throughout our uh, our Maersk departure. Sure. I don't know sure. if that explains it uh, sooner. I mean, we can we can add more flavor to it, but I think that's that's the way I see it. Yeah, I think the only thing I, I, I you know, might want to add to that is that 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 clearly, I mean, when you're part of a, a, a captive venture setup, right? I mean, that, of course, comes with you know, certain constraints and, you know, who can you work with and what can you work on? And it has to sort of fit the strategy and, and so on. And I think we, we just collectively with, with, within, within our team here feel that there's a very, very big opportunity. We really believe that this decade, and then, you know, you mentioned that to us before, Richard, right? That, that we really believe that this decade is very much about supply chain, right? And I think, you know, when you look at you know, we clearly also been looking at, at at some of the historical aspects of, of 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 venture capital. You know, you know, the 80s and the 90s, and you know, then you had you know emergence of, of software as a service, and then you know, 80s were hardware, and, and then so on and so forth, right? And now we are really beginning to see technology beginning to move back into the physical world, if you will, and those two worlds coming together. We believe that supply chain is going to be one of the major areas affected by this. And so kind of the, the opportunity is now. And, you know, we want to be, be part of this. Well, actually, maybe just let me be a little bit uh, less humble about it. We want to be at the center of this, um, uh, you know, both because of the impact this is going to have on, on, on the world, 
and on an industry that 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 we are quite passionate about. Uh, you know, both from you know both from just you know how do you move stuff and you know and 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 trying into consumer behavior, but also I mean you know all the inefficiencies that you're looking at in the industry and the potential environmental impact of addressing some of these things, right? You know, you know, we want to make sure this happens and 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 we we kind of believe that the best way for us to make a real big dent in the universe is if we are, let's say, if we are unchained. Um and 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 this is essentially why we we, we decided to go after this 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 opportunity on on, on our own. Well, I, I, you, as you were talking soon in my head, all of a sudden I started creating a sort of a chart, which would be fascinating to see, which would be how technology has been adopted, been adopted decade over decade, and what were the thrusts of those decades? Because I think you were key in saying, very insightful in saying, the '80s were about hardware. 90s kind of shifted into the sort of internet propagation and enthusiasm led by consumers. The 2000s, you know, 20 to 2010 was really kind of the rise of the consumerization of everything. 2010 to 20, you know, 10, 2010 to 2020. And again, I'm just talking aloud right now. Kind of that represented sort of this, you know, you know, doubling down and all that consumerization. And then all of a sudden it gets to 2020 and we're shifting, as you put it, back into the enterprise a little bit, right? Um, you know, the enterprise has kind of stood on the sidelines for these last couple of decades, waiting to see how things were going to play out. Now we're shifting back to them. And you could begin to go, well, all of a sudden, well, the enterprise starts getting digitized this decade. Probably the following decade, you might look at starting, you know, human beings and the high touch when we start thinking about medical and pharmaceutical and things like that. Like it's, it's, I mean, I don't know if you intended to do that, but there's a wonderful view of decade over decade technology adoption. And we just happen to be right at the epicenter of supply chain adoption. I mean, in our pitch material, it's a couple of bullets. We haven't made a fancy chart yet, but we will we'll be working on that. Well, hey, well, there you go. So that's that's the that's the outcome of this conversation. Is there's a, there's we'll, a very cool chart. Uh, we'll give you, we'll uh, give you credits uh, underneath. <laughs> it's all good. Well, let, let let let's shift back into why supply chain. Why now? Um, you know, I, we're not we're at, we're all three here in violent agreement, right? The decade of supply chain. What's going on? Um, but now let's talk about Project Aviato and you know how you guys are really viewing. So clearly, it's investment in supply chain. Clearly, it's a hybrid between. You know, traditional venture capital and private equity. I think you guys have touched on that, but that's a key attribute to this. Where you know, it's not quite venture capital in what Sand Hill Road thinks about. It's not quite what private equity, like a Colbert Kravis, thinks about. Um, but it's somewhere in the middle. Um, and ironically, I think also with private equity, is supply chain because it's so enterprise focused, tends to actually fall into their portfolio optimization plays more than it would a traditional VC, which is another characteristic of private equity. Um, but let's talk about again, you know, this gap, the vision for Project Aviato, and specifically, what is it within supply chain that you guys are kind of beginning to earmark as the you know thesis of the investments that you're looking for? It could be logistics, it could be payments, it could be asset flows like you know how are you guys kind of viewing all this as of right now do you want to peter you want me to kick it off go ahead oh. take it, all take right it I'll, I'll, I'll jump at it. to it that's fantastic um so so i think to us i think it really really begins with the customer right and it begins also with a real customer problem i think that there are well, and this is something we, we we share that there are too many companies out there, and this is not only in supply chain who are, you know, let's say technologies or solutions looking for a problem. All companies out there that are being launched and being funded 
to essentially make a pretty web page. Um, and, 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 and nothing wrong with that, but we really, really like, you know, let's say <laughs> companies that, 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 that solves real problems, right? The next level for us is, is then when you're looking at how the world is changing and, and we could probably hold, you know, a, a separate seminar on this, but everything from, you know, you know, you spoke about consumer behavior before Richard, right? I mean, what does, you know, how, how does consumer behavior change and what impacts does that have on the supply chain, right? It's everything from the Amazon effect to the thing that, you know, you want your, you know, your Nike sneakers to be a little bit different than mine, right? So you want it to be customized. By the way, you want them tomorrow, not in three months. Uh, you know, you probably also want to return them, you know, and, and all of these things. How does that happen, right? Um, and, you know, you also, you want to make sure that, that these sneakers have been made, you know, under proper working conditions. And, you know, you want them to be CO2 neutral and, and, and all of these things, right? That puts a massive strain on a, on a system that's already not particularly efficient and a system that already is suffering from a lot of friction. And now you start exponentially adding to that complexity and you're moving to units of one, not of one container, but to one box of shoes or one t-shirt, right? And lining all of these things up is, is clearly some of the things that, you know, that, that, you know, we, we like companies that solve real problems and often those are also hard problems, right? Yep. And, and also, I mean, to, to be frank, you know, there's a lot of people who can come in and solve marginal problems. They probably have to find other investors because we don't really believe in that as a venture case, right? right. Um, I think that, that maybe the easiest way or, or and, and, and a slightly different angle on this is, of course, you know, coming from Maersk, a lot of people think, oh, you know, we're going to go after ocean freight uh, or that space. Uh, but, you know, frankly, that's one of the things we're definitely not going to go after because we actually believe that the carriers have done a fantastic, including our previous employer, an amazing job at optimizing that. Um, so that's not where the battle is going to be won. It's much more in, in looking at that, you know, you know, you, you spoke about it before and then you've written some stuff about it as well, right? That this, you know, B2C versus B2B. Mm -hmm. which people sort of from a logistics perspective are used to look at at separate that that doesn't really work out right so manufacturing cannot be different from supply chain and b2b supply chains cannot be different from b2b you know they somehow have to communicate right and and those are some of the things that we historically have invested in uh, and also will be investing in uh, go, going forward yep fair you know what fair. did i what did i leave out in that of uh, of uh, interesting no, aspects no. But I, I think I think you, you touch upon it uh, very well. I, th I think one of the things we, we, we keep saying, and, and you, you allude to it, it's, it is that colossal amount of waste that, that still sits in the system. And, and there are true problems to be solved. But we've also built an industry where there is no clear accountability of the end-to-end -end supply chain. Everybody has their own way of optimizing uh, along the way, which always results in a bad outcome. And then you have industry players, you could say incumbents, who live off the opaqueness as, as a business model. And, 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 and fundamentally, there are some things around collaboration that we, we've talked and spent quite some time discussing is, I think we'll start seeing that shift in, like you've seen in other industries where, where you start collaborating much more around standards. How do you look at this? Because 
I mean, just a just getting one EBL. I mean, I think GCSA, who we're very strong supporters of, just came out saying we finally agreed amongst the big carriers this is the standard for an EBL lading. Come on, guys, right? It, right. It's, it's, it's fantastic, and we, we want it. But we're gonna. I think we're gonna see an acceleration in that area that lends itself well to some of these solutions because it's been one of the prohibitors because a lot of people have been saying now there's going to be supply chain solutions. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But because of the complexity, because of the lack of industry standards, we've always been left, ah, then we have to make some of these, what what Suna calls subpar solutions that take away a little bit of, of it, but doesn't really fundamentally solve the underlying problem, what the customer is after. And, and, and that's that's the space that we're super keen on, on getting into and helping along the way. And then using, back to the team sport analogy, using all players in the industry to make this better, right? Right, uh, right. So, you just, and then, sorry, Richard, but, but you just triggered something there, Peter, right? I mean, some of the stuff that, that Peter and I've been working on that, you know, so so Peter, for instance, you know, has been on on, on the board and, and invested in in, in NYSHEX when we were still with Maersk, right? Which is essentially addressing the problem of, well, you know, I book space, but I don't, you know, I decide whether I use it or not and whether I pay for it or not, right? So, I mean, essentially contract compliance, which most other industries would sort of take for granted, right? I mean, uh-huh. you probably couldn't imagine that, you know, you booked a, you know, vacation flight, right? And, and you kind of, you know, decide whether you show up or not, and then the airline never really knows, right? I mean, so I think it's just one example, right? And and you know, I've been 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 very heavily involved in the early parts of of, of trade lens, you know, which I and my, my my team incubated, and and same thing, right? I mean, having some standards about how do we communicate and what kind of platforms and what kind of systems, and then as Peter mentioned, DCSA is another great initiative, and I think today some people, some companies are harvesting value that probably really shouldn't be, be harvested. And so I think those initiatives that is gonna level the playing field and then companies can start competing on the stuff that really matters, <laughs> a better customer experience essentially, right? I think that, that, that's, gonna be, that, that's gonna be pretty awesome. Also means that there are some players in the market today who are gonna have a difficult time because you know, they've been benefiting for years and been building businesses on industry not being able to collaborate more. And 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 we think that's going to change. Absolutely. And 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 yeah. I was going to I was going to ju- jump in one quick second because I want to be uh, all, I, I, like I knew this is it always happens. And looking at this like like sixty minutes is sometimes just not enough. Like literally the three of us, I could sit all day with you guys and talk through some things. So, but I, and I also wanted to pick up on one thing um, because you mentioned Nike, and and that's my poster child for enterprises that are transitioning from traditional retail consumer mindsets to technology companies through the hiring of their current CEO, John Donahoe, who used to be the CEO of eBay uh, when I was there. Um, And so it was a really fascinating pick where Nike is making a big bet in its leadership saying, we want to transition from just traditional consumer product company to a technology company. And even more to point, become a technology platform for healthy lifestyle living, right? Or at least that's how I'd interpret it. And I also want to touch on, so that's one side comment, but I also want to kind of dig into a little bit if you guys thinking, because, you know, uh, uh, Peter in particular, you talk about standardization, right? Um, centralization. Um, that's the key missing element in any of these cross communication requirements, in a, especially in a supply chain, you know, whether I'm going from, you know, uh, raw materials through manufacturing, through OEM, through to consumer, 
just having a standard skew run through that you think would be there, but doesn't exist, right? So the question here is, that's a key problem, standardization, right? Now, how you approach that, though, I think is also somewhat, uh, I, wanted, I don't want to say ready-made, but, and you keyed on it a couple of times, but another thing is platforms, right? The role of platforms and how they are applied in this emerging space for these technologies, because platforms, by their very nature, you know, funnel people into standardization, right? That's kind of one of their key attributes and benefits. So how do you view that? And I'm going to kick it to Peter first. How do you view that coming from your operational standpoint? Because I'm sure Maersk built stuff internally, but then you looking at now in future investing over these years, I mean, how do you view, you know, platforms as a key component to that, to bringing that standardization to bear, right? But I, I see platforms as, as one way of, of, you could say, speeding that uh, that up because because as you say yourself it's the one way where you can funnel enough into enforcing some of these standards and 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 soon it brought up NYSEX NYSEX is a perfect example simple accountability that a contract is a contract a two-way commitment it's it's as basic as it gets but it's still completely and utterly fundamental for the entire cargo flow so 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 I, I have I have belief that that we will see more platforms that will help accelerate that. There, there, then there are the industry standards, like we said, DCSA before. You have IATA in, in the flight. Industry. Why, why would you have something similar in, in a supply chain space? So, and, and, then, and then I think you're going to have a number of aggregation layers where you have to translate because standardization by nature just takes time. So you're going to have to have something with open APIs that can translate the information that comes in into a usable format. But what you usually also start seeing is you start seeing prevalent standards coming out and people saying, this is the way we start doing it. And then more and more start uh, buying into that, that that becomes the standard. And that's also what we're, what we're banking on. You could say that we're gonna find those winners that say, this is as close as we can get. And then as soon as I say, then let's start, it's almost like you have to democratize that whole piece just democratize supply chain, make it super easy, and then really, really start competing on what matters. And that's something about the customer, right? Something about right. building a better customer experience or some something like that. That that that's how I see it anyway. I don't know if you have anything to add soon. No, you are you are our house authority and platform, so so I have nothing to add. Yeah, well, that's okay. Well, but but I think that's a key attribute, though. So now, kind of you know, looking again now at where Project Aviato is. So now, it sounds like you guys are still in the early form, you know, formative stages. You know, I don't know where you you know if you're out soliciting funding, still building the team. You know, but let's let you know what's next for Project Aviato as you guys are kind of kicking off. How do people even begin? Are you guys even taking pitches at this point? You know, what's what's the status of you guys and uh, where you're at? Yeah, so I mean, we, you know, so 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 Peter and I left uh, left Maersk at, at the end of 2020, and 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 the the, the hardworking Peter he uh, he joined us a month later, so at the end of January. So I mean, as a as a three person team, I mean, we are we essentially one and a half months into this journey. We had set the first uh, six weeks of this year aside for um, uh, for learning. Uh, uh, sorry, the first three months of this year aside for learning essentially going out speaking with industry experts, you know, both in venture and industry and saying, okay, you know, we have this idea. We think it's awesome. Uh, now we know that it's not perfectly honed, but why don't you help us make this story even sharper? And 
you know, we worked in corporate for many years, so so we are using to used to beating ourselves to death uh, and and being very critical. So so you know we we you know so quite a lot of challenges with our story and what we want to achieve and, and so on. Again, we fundamentally really believe in it, in it and, and, and you see it as a real opportunity, but let's sort of try to, to find out how we hone this even better. Um, and, and then we, um, you know, and, and this is essentially what, what we did. And, and, but then during January and February, um, the feedback we've been getting from everybody is kind of like, you know, this is fantastic. You are addressing the right problem at the right point in time. And guess what? You're also the right team to do this. You know, so why don't you stop talking and start investing? And 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 uh, so it's, you know, this is kind of, you know, what we, we've been in, uh, the, the most we've been in for, for a few weeks now. Um, so we are out, uh, we are preparing to fundraise. Uh, our lawyer has a few documents uh, he, he has to finish before, before we can officially start fundraising. Um, but, you know, out and, and I mean, interest so far has been been overwhelming. Uh, and, and we do sort of expect that within the next uh, next couple of weeks here, we're going to move into, let's say, real, real fundraising mode. Conversely, this also means that we're not currently investing, but we are actually working on, um, let's say, a pipeline, uh, you know, both uh, the pipeline we, we brought with us from uh, from our time with uh, with, with, with Maersk. Uh, so companies we know, both companies we've invested in in the past, but also companies we, for whatever reason, were not uh, able to invest in. And then we are continuous, uh, continuing to get very significant deal flow in uh, that we're looking at. And, and so we are we are quite eager to uh, to get to a first close on our fund, and, and then we can hopefully start backing some um, some some great founders. So so very specifically on your question, you know, we would we would love to hear uh, from from. <laughs> From, from people, I mean, if anybody expects, uh, you know, a bank transfer on Monday, uh, well, then it either has to be a very small one or, or, uh, <laughs> or we have to be able to pay in Bitcoin. Um, but, right. uh, um, but, but I mean, essentially, if there's companies out there sort of around this, you know, looking at raising an A, you know, over the next three months, six months, nine months, uh, you know, we would love to hear from them. And then, you know, we also spend a fair bit of our time just, you know, helping founders, and this doesn't have to be within our sweet spot, but, you know, within supply chain, but even without supply chain, sort of, you know, sharing some of our experiences and trying to, to make them a little bit sharper. And, and this, of course, is stuff that, that we learn from, and, you know, we, we love to help, and we are, we are big believers in karma. So, so that, that's another, uh, you know, what normally happens when we do a podcast on interviewers that then sort of our inboxes blow up. So, so right. it might be a, a day or two before we, uh, before we respond, but we do respond. No, that's, that's great. I don't know if Peter, if you want to add, jump in on that at all. No, I, I, as I said, we're, we're here, we're here to help and, 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 and soon has described the process very well, but, but I, I just want to echo that. Just, just send it our way. Um, yeah. And we'll be ready to, to talk well, about it. Well, I think you actually might get two inbounds, right? So as I'm sitting here listening to both of you guys talk about this, I think there's a lot of enterprises trying to figure out how to invest in supply chain. So you're going to have a lot of enterprise fund participation, you know, funding the fund, right? And I imagine your original employer has probably earmarked some there, but then you kind of go out to all these other ones. I mean, you got the Cargills, you got, you know, even the Whirlies, you know, I mean, there's a lot and there's just endowment. Fund. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of money that's going to want to play in what you guys are doing, right? And of course, and, there's- and I think yeah, go ahead. And, and maybe just to add to that, Rich, and, and, and of course, you know, this is, is, you know, we are being, you know, we would love also hear to, from, from investors and LPs, obviously. Yeah. Um, 
but but I think sort of when when we look at the you know the, the people who are you know pretty interested in what you're doing, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's some institutionals who would like that that exposure, uh, you know, to the industry because they're seeing it transforming and they're seeing a, a you know potential for some very significant financial returns in this. So we're definitely seeing a very very strong interest. Uh, um, so that that's definitely definitely an angle, right? Uh, that that financial aspect. Um, but of course, as you're saying, you know, we we would also really like to get a couple uh, of strategic uh, investors in, into RBR to people who still want obviously the financial return because this is this is finance first, right? Um, but obviously, we can also sort of see the value in getting those those insights, right? And, and we do see a lot, and and and. Um, and and we are we are having those discussions, you know, also on on an advisor level with with some pretty notable uh, individuals and, and notable uh, notable companies. But that would be great if oh, we get I, uh, I, both from startups and from potential investors. Yeah, well, no, I was I, I mean I was just listening listening to you guys. I mean, I'm just you know, again, the story tells sells itself. I mean, it's just you know, it's it's a simple story. You guys have direct experience at one of the biggest supply chain companies of the world. You led an innovation investment. I mean, your your bona fides, you know, sell themselves, right? So, and just like you said, it's like investing in crypto. You know, um, a lot of people don't even know where to begin, so they're looking for experts to guide them through that investment. You know, there's a lot of money out there looking to get into supply chain, like you said. They just don't even know where to go because your traditional Sandhill Road companies, you know, VCs, they're not quite earmarked for this, um, you know, and that's sort of part of the reason for this podcast slash follow on interview is, you know, the investment you know, area of supply chain is taking this, you know, it's, it's, it's demanding something that sits between VC and PE. It, it, it's not the same as it used to be, right? It requires some operational insights. It requires reach into the supply chain industry, which is a, you know, Rolodex at enterprise contacts. It's not just, you know, an investment banker analyzing how I do a liquidity event with you and I'm going to put my money in and expect it in four or five rounds to, you know, get my 10x. Um, that's not how these supply chain investments are going to work. It's, 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 it's in that sense, it's more operational, um, like a PE firm. But again, PEs aren't ready to drop one to two to three million. You know, they want to put 100 million to play. Um, and so there's a big, you know, there's this gap. And you guys are really right in the middle at the right time. I, I, I mean, we talk about this all the time. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's so cool to see. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very glad to to have that validated, and that's obviously also one of one of the things you know that that we we have been getting that continuously validated the last couple of months, and I guess that there must be something to it. Then, no, but I also yeah. I think one of the things we haven't we haven't stressed is also I mean this is this is not a one time thing. It's not a one time fund. Right. This is this right. is this is something that's going to be going on, and, and hopefully we're talking again in ten years, right? And and then we're at fund whatever number it's called at that time. I think, I think it's about also building something that's lasting and that actually makes and generates a difference because that's when we sat down and looked each other in the eye, Soon and I, we also said, I mean, this is not a, a, a play to make a quick buck because first of all, it, it, it's tough and then the odds are against us and all this. But, but second of all, it's, it's, it's because we believe and we love this industry and we want to make a difference for a lot more than, than just, just this space. So I think, uh, well, I, I think our, our I, hope is we create that. Well, I was going to say, as you were saying that, Peter, you know, it strikes me too, uh, for both of you guys, or all three of you guys in, in particular, but the, you know, you, Peter, and soon today is that, you know, as investors and as operators, not only are you investing to clearly make money for your LPs, but you're actually driving the world's global supply chain forward through investment. 
right? Operationally changing and making that, you know, uh, inefficient global supply chain that we all recognize, especially coming out of the pandemic here, where people are talking all things supply chain. It's like, we've got to address this. I mean, the timing is now. And as investors, you're not just going in to make money, you're going in to have a social impact through your investment, right? Driving the ideas of sustainability, circularity, sourcing materials, you know, avoiding all the pitfalls of, of, of the things that you guys alluded to, which is, you know, uh, uh, unethical practices, unethical sourcing. I mean, that, you know, at the end of the day, when you step back and think about it, your involvement through investment is going to impact that aggregate global supply chain in an extremely positive way. So there's my, my marketing shtick for you guys to add into the, uh, into the, <laughs> into the Marcom materials. Yeah. We, we have something good. You could be our community manager. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll send three bottles of wine over. Uh, <laughs> No, I think just maybe just one point, Richard, that you just reminded me of, right? And I think, you know, you heard Peter speak about partnerships earlier, earlier on, right? And, and just you mentioned some of the, some of the, some of the, the, the more traditional VCs, you know, on, and, and, you know, Sand, Sand Hill Road being a point in case, right? Again, I think a lot of these people are, of course, incredibly successful investors, very, very skilled people, very, very smart people. But I think one of the things we've we clearly seen is that, you know, I think, starting maybe with a flex port, right? You know, five, six years ago, they saw this massive addressable market, right? And jumped at it. And then they understood a little bit later on the complexities. And I think that's one of the things from, from our conversations over the last few years is that a lot of these people we've actually forged some very, very deep relations with because, you know, they see what we bring to the table, that deep sector expertise, but of course, they also have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge and a lot of capability that we don't have, you know, the way that you sort of, you know, scale and so on. So we don't, you know, this is not for us sort of a, you know, it's either us or well, you know, fund A, B, or C from Sand Hill Road. We really like that combination. And that's also the last, you know, many investments we did in, in, in a, uh, you know, in, in a mass growth context, we actually syndicated those with tier one VCs who had seen the value that we had created for the companies, they heard it from our founders, they saw our value creation model, they saw our expertise. And, and you know, and we fundamentally really believe that that's where the magic happens, right? We can't do this alone, but conversely, none of the other funds can do this alone. But when we come together, then, then we believe it becomes really, really powerful. I think you, I think you keyed on another aspect. Uh, I wasn't even thinking of it too, but you also are going to be a source or avenue or pathway for uh, these. I'll call them traditional tier one sandhill roads, the summits, the apexes, right? Um, uh, you know that don't necessarily have the insight into supply chain enterprise investing. They'll view you as a vehicle to get in there and get smart, which is which is really cool. I mean, that's another. It's an, and a great bridge too. Yeah, and and and, and I, I must say, Richard, right, and and you know, no, nobody mentioned, nobody forgotten, but but I think one of the things that that I've been quite overwhelmed about, and and also you know, a, let's say a little bit touched about, is that you know, after we left Merck, of course, when you when you leave a company after so many years, you kind of you you know, ask yourself a little bit your your network. I mean, is it your network? Is it the employer's network? And who do, who do they really love, right? Um, and and I mean, they 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 help. Uh, and the assistance and, and the way that, that, you know, some of these, you know, very, very prominent people that you read about, you know, in, uh, you know, in, in, in all the magazines and so on, the way that they really have been leaning into this, into Aviato and been helping us and supporting us and, 
and you know looking at saying hey you know we need this right and we need somebody to partner with and we're gonna you know whatever you need help with you know we i mean this this has just been really really overwhelming um but of course also i think sort of validating that that we are probably on to something absolutely so i'm gonna be i'm gonna and i normally don't do this but but i want to be conscious of time because <laughs> Like I said, this and 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 I know I know, just awesome. I'm gonna wind up though, uh, just to be conscious of, of of the hour, your guys's time, and and, and certainly episode. But um, you know, if it's okay too, want to check back probably in six or nine months because I think you know checking in as you guys have a chance to kind of get going and see the learnings and lessons would be a wonderful follow on. But I mean, such a great day. You guys are amazing. I mean, the energy is great, and and I, you know, I knew this was going to be fun from the get go. But uh, you know, it's, I'm I'm constraining myself because I want to keep going. So, uh, but I am going to wind up here in the in the in matter of time. But thank you so much for participating today. It's been really a wonderful experience. Thank you so much for having us, Richard. We'll, uh, we'll check in hopefully soon with, uh, with an update. Awesome. 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 Thanks, guys. This is Richard Donaldson. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about the episode or topics in supply chain you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at supplychainnext at request.com. And while you're at it, why not check out the Request platform at supplychain.request.com. Request allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud, collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at www.request.com.